Jen Bostic, uh, singer-songwriter Jen Bostic on the Backstage Lights podcast uh, with Disciple Live Events. And uh, Jen, tell us a little bit, uh, you're in Nashville right now then? I am, yep. I'm in Nashville, hold up at home. And uh, it's been an interesting few months, for sure. What uh, Were you home or were you on the, on the road when um, you heard everything was shutting down and, and uh, your, your gigs were all done for a while? I was actually over in the United Kingdom, and my mom and I had been in Barcelona on a holiday, and I was completing a tour after that. And so after she left and she went home to the States from Barcelona, I had gone on to Ireland and Northern Ireland, and I was, I remember waking up to just my phone completely blown up like messages and calls from people saying, Hey, have you seen the news and links to the fact that uh, Trump had said, you know, we're not going to let anybody that's been in Europe into the States. And at the time, you know, you, you just see the headline, you don't see this doesn't apply to us citizens and all these things. And so at the time I was still in the United Kingdom, so it didn't apply to me. It was only the EU. And so it was still very unnerving to know that all this was going on. And I think that was kind of the first time I realized, oh, wow, this is this is real. And then I had a few more gigs lined up. And I decided that a few days later, I think I found out on a Friday, and I, I decided to book a flight home on the Monday following just to make sure that I had one in place if I needed to use it. And the few gigs I had after that, I mean, it was, social distancing, people weren't touching. And this was the first, you know, that I'd experienced of that. And I'm such a hugger and, you know, I, I like to talk to people after the shows and shake hands and all of that. And it was just a really strange situation. I ended up flying over to Scotland for a show there, did that show, same thing. And then I ended up doing my last show that I felt comfortable doing. Uh, just outside of Manchester in a town called Dronefield, England. And that show was very difficult because at this point, the UK, they weren't letting flights. They weren't going to let flights back in after that Monday uh, to the States unless you were a citizen, but again, not in the headline. And so you're hearing things. I'm backstage getting ready for a show, trying to be mentally prepared. But you're hearing things like, oh, well, people have been standing in line at customs for five hours in close quarters and if you didn't have COVID now you've got it and things like that that you're just you know you don't know how much truth there is to that but just these rumors and these things start flying and yes I know that was the case for some people that was not my experience praise God I got home safely and the customs line was about 45 minutes and I never felt threatened and there weren't people sitting next to me on the plane even trying to get home so I'm grateful I'm home, but I definitely had to choose faith over fear. And it is a very real, very scary thing. But I think, um, you know, we, we press into whatever it is to bring us peace. And for me, that's my faith. And that's been getting me through. Well, that's interesting that you, uh, I'd, I'd be interested to know a little bit more about uh, these, these gigs um, that, that you did after everything was announced, because uh, that's almost like what where, where we're at right now in terms of 
if you're going to go do anything, you've got to do the social distancing, you've got to do this, you've got to, you know, sanitize that. So what was that like? I mean, was it, was it weird? Were people six feet apart? Were they, I mean, how, how did you deal with that? At that point, the specifics hadn't been in place. I think the, the authorities were just trying to figure out how to contain it. And so I think events over 500 weren't allowed and there weren't specific rules revolving around, you know, events any lower than that. However, people were trying, I mean, a couple people, you know, music fans and lovers came up and just like hugged me and part of it, you know, like it wasn't against the rules at that point. It was just suggested that you don't. And, you know, people aren't thinking they're just excited and all of that. And like, that was the first time I had this uncomfortable feeling of like, I don't think we're even supposed to be like touching, you know, because right. that wasn't in place yet. Really. I remember having a bottle of hand sanitizer that I just kept using just to be safe. And I used my own microphone and, you know, things like that, that I think will be definitely something that come into play when people start going back into venues. I actually have a couple gigs scheduled here in Nashville for next month, which I know they're very careful as to how we're going to be on stage, how we're interacting with people. And it, it is very different, I think, to, to say the least. And um, at that point, when I was doing those shows, it was very much like people were giving elbow high fives, you know? And yeah, right, and right. It, it was, I think, because we weren't sure how serious it was. And also, like, it's an uncomfortable, like, how do we even communicate with people in this way as, you know, that it was almost kind of a joke and like some people would get closer than you maybe feel comfortable for. And there, there is that like very strange exchange. And so I'm interested to see what happens moving forward. I'm interested to see if hugs come back into place and handshakes and what our greetings will be moving forward. But I think for the time being, it's going to be, you know, as you have to respect everybody's level of comfort because, you don't know, you know, their vulnerability to, and their immunity, like any of that. And you have to take it all into consideration. Yeah, I can totally, totally understand that. That's, uh, it's going to be key in, in all walks of life, really. Um, so you're, you're, you've been locked down in Nashville and this is probably a dumb question because I think I know the answer to it, but you are a prolific songwriter. Have, what have you been able to write? How often um, what, what, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you're so kind. Thank you for the compliment. I haven't been writing a ton. I have had a few sessions and I've had a few mentorships where I've gotten with younger writers and, you know, they've kind of asked for advice about a song and things like that. There've only been, I think maybe four completed songs that I feel really good about. And, um, I think part of that is because as a songwriter, I've got one song started that I'm actually pretty excited to see where it goes because a lot of my songs are very personal and this one seems to be that for me in this season is, you know, you're trying to process while it's happening, but I think for me, the songs that really speak to what I'm feeling in this moment will come after or on the other side of it, which I do believe is coming. And so I think that, I, I'm almost hesitant to finish songs while I haven't walked through where I'm going or finding it difficult to finish songs when we, when, you know, we're not through it to the other side. And there's 
I don't know. It's an interesting space creatively, but I have found some joy in performing online concerts and also I've been doing weekly live interviews with the producers of each of my records. And that's just been neat to connect with people online and virtually because it's kind of all we have. And, you know, there's, it's a whole learning curve with technology and how to get your sound as an artist and musician, how to represent yourself the best and that you can with the tools that you have. And I mean, that's frustrating in itself. I've had many a cheerful day when I just can't yeah. figure things out, you know, but I think it's, we are, I mean, arguably like some would say, like we're experiencing a trauma right now, you know, like this is something that's very, different that nobody like we're all equally ignorant to like what comes next and I think like if you wake up and you're not having a day where you feel like you can finish a song or you you know can't work on technology like I'm trying to learn to have grace with myself and say you know what that's okay like today we're gonna do something else or just play music for fun because it's it's a lot that we're all dealing with and I think we can try to keep pressing forward which we should and, you know, I don't think any of us should give up, like keep, you know, small businesses, musicians, all of that, like keep it going no matter how difficult, but also have the grace to say, you know, look, we don't have to, it's not a productivity contest. It's a pandemic, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, where you're, you know, you're very good at songwriting and I think that it'll be interesting to see when this kind of evens out, um, I think we're going to see a lot of music from all all genres, all artists. I think um, it'll you know all new new music that was written during everybody's uh, quarantine. So I think it'll be very interesting. Yeah, I think you're uh, absolutely right. Um, one question that I have, and we we've kind of talked about this before. We've shared a lot of um, uh, car rides and and things together <clears throat> through the state of Wyoming and whatnot. And we've, <laughs> I, I've asked you this question. Um, how do you like being an independent artist uh, versus, for example, a, a lot of artists that would sign with a particular label? Um, talk to us a little bit and explain a little bit about maybe the difference of the two? Yeah. So I actually, February of last year, signed a record deal with an independent label called YBS Records, used to be served records. And um, it's, they definitely treat it different than any label that I have experienced. It is for sure a partnership and I, that I'm really grateful for. Um, but up until that point, for four albums, I was completely independent. I had a manager and a publisher for a big chunk of that time, but I was self-funding everything. I was making all the decisions, you know, and it, there's a lot of freedom in what you can do. And I think you can kind of have a lot of spur of the moment, creative ideas that you can run with and see how they happen. And I think that's where a lot of innovation takes place with, you know, the music industry, because sometimes and not, I haven't experienced this personally. I've only heard stories, but, you know, sometimes when someone's with a big major label, they have either a way of doing things or just a channel of which, you know, that things need to process through before it gets released out into the world, which totally makes sense. You know, there's a lot invested in an artist that's signed to a major label, but sometimes that can almost 
seem to slow the process down a little bit. Whereas right. if I wrote a song and I'm, you know, if I was an unsigned artist and I wrote a song today and recorded it in my studio, I could put it up on the internet tonight with no questions asked, you know, right, and right. That, that there's a difference there. And I, I have no idea, you know, what, how major levels are approaching this specific time, but, you know, I'm, I'm curious because I do see a lot of people, just everybody's going online because that's what we have. And so how is, how are major labels kind of like loosening their grip if they have a tight one, you know, in the, in the past, like how are they loosening their grip in this season and what does that mean moving forward? So it's interesting. Yeah. And and I've, I've always, you know, we've, we've uh, had a lot, done a lot of gigs together and, um, I've always enjoyed working with you because of how flexible, uh, you know, you, you've been when, in terms of, uh, really the, the whole experience, uh, when it comes to opening for acts or headlining, or, you know, I, I find that type of situation a lot easier for a promoter like myself to, to deal with as opposed to, some you know some artists who are you know so kind of held uh tightly by the by the labels and things like that that you you can't get them to really do anything um more than just the very basics and uh you know as a promoter it's that does get frustrating from from time to time yeah absolutely i think that that also has to do with To me, finding a manager that best represents your heart and who you are is a really important piece of being an artist. And I think, you know, your manager is to some degree almost, you know, like a a marriage. It's like a partnership, you know. And so they need to know kind of how you would respond in every scenario or at least communicate with you about all the options that are being presented if that's something you desire as an artist, and there are like, I mean, there may be some artists that, you know, they just want to show up and do the show and that's all they want to do, you know, and that's, that's okay too. But for someone like me who like, I want to connect with the community when I go into an area, you know, I want to do all the VIP events and do whatever I can. If there's a local radio or, you know, media outlet, like I want to connect on all those different levels or do a songwriting workshop, whatever it might be. And I think, Right now, I'm still self-managed, and I had a manager for a while, which was great. Um, but for me, I I would need to know that whoever I were to hire in that role down the line would understand that part of me and, you know, make things happen in a way that also allows me prep time for a show. So I'm giving 100% at the actual performance, but is also just easy to communicate with. And you've built I mean, we've built a certain trust, you know, like I know that when I come into an area that you're promoting a show that it's going to be of great quality and, you know, you're not asking a crazy, crazy things of me, you know, like you're bringing these wonderful opportunities to the table and you've proven time and time again, like it's never been in a scenario that hasn't worked out, you know, so that there's also that trust that your company has built that I it makes it easier for the artist or a manager to say, Oh, okay. Like, sure. Whatever you think is going to be best for the show. Right. No, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it definitely is. I think a two way street, uh, when it comes to booking 
any artist of, of, of any genre. You know, speaking of genres, and we are talking with uh, singer-songwriter Jen Bostic, uh, currently in Nashville. Um, you, on your last album, you kind of changed directions a little bit, um, kind of to the, the Christian uh, music world. Tell us a little bit about uh, what brought that about and, and the experience that you've had um, making the album and, and the aftermath. Yeah, absolutely. For those people who have been kind of with me from the beginning of my music career, uh, it will be no surprise that my new record ended up in the Christian genre. I have been a worship leader for the last 11 years here in Nashville and, you know, sang in church all growing up and during college. And it's always been a part of me and if you if you search for them, you can find the threads of faith in a lot of my music dating back to even my first record in 2009 that was released. And so it's definitely my heart. Like it's a it's what I'm passionate about, my faith and my belief in God. And I think I've seen that as I vulnerably share personal experiences in my life as well, which you know that definitely involves my faith and all I've learned through that the more vulnerable and open and honest I can be in my songwriting, the more people naturally connect to that. And it's been just a really beautiful self-discovery as well along the way. I recorded my second to last record, Revival, back in 2017. And that was kind of, I had parted ways with my management and publishing that I had been with previously. And it was just more of something... I knew the direction I wanted to go. I've always loved Bonnie Raitt and Susan Sudesky and kind of those bluesier singers. But I also really loved the pop sensibility of Sarah Bareilles. And I loved, you know, gospel music and worship music that I also listened to. So it was kind of uh, just pulling from bits and pieces of all those things. And I recorded an album that helped me to trust myself again. I had worked with a lot of different producers and would sometimes get lost in the production or get lost in the writing session. But I worked with a group of friends that really just helped me express who I was genuinely. And I honestly didn't know what was next after that. I had prayed a lot about potentially doing a Christian album, a worship album, but I, I wanted to know that it was a calling and I wanted to feel a really strong sense of peace that it was what was next for me. And wouldn't you know it, about uh, a month before I got ready to go on my album release tour for my revival record that I was so happy with and so proud of, my dear friend Lauren Christie called me out of the blue. And for those who don't know, Lauren is an incredible songwriter. She was nominated for producer of the year at the Grammys, one of the only women to ever be nominated and just written hits for Avril Lavigne and Dua Lipa, B.B. Rexa, I mean, so many people. And she and I got connected through a former manager and started writing together about eight years ago now. But she called me at that time that I was getting ready to release the record, didn't really know what was next. And she said, hey, I want to record an album for God. And he keeps telling me you're the one that I'm supposed to do that with I want you to pray about it and that was to me the sign that I had been praying for that this was something 
you know, amazing that I could do and to work with Laura. And I mean, she is my favorite co-writer of all time. You know, like she and I just connect on a, an amazing musical level. There's just this synergy that happens every time we write. And she and her husband have started UC Served Records and that's the label I'm signed to now. And we released a project called Take My Hand Part One at the end of uh, 2019 in November. And we just released a song April 10th called Wrapped, which is just the beginning of the part two of that project. It's all been recorded. We're just looking for the right moments to release it. And it's been a really beautiful shift. I have the, the people who have been supporting and following the music for years, even, you know, as far back to my hometown, the people who saw me first on stage ever, it seems to be that the majority love where this is headed and have kind of, I've had a lot of people say, this is what you should have been doing the whole time, you know? So it's been a really beautiful journey. And um, I mean, I'm still playing the old songs as well. And a lot of people didn't know the true stories of like where those songs came from, like the depth of the stories. And so it's given me a lot of freedom in this time. It's been amazing because these are the songs that I would want to write anyway and perform anyway. And I think they're giving people a sense of hope and comfort and peace, regardless of their religious backgrounds or what they believe. And so it's, it's really been amazing to just see how God has led this whole journey. And I'm, I'm just excited to see what's next. And I hope that people are finding comfort, comfort through the music and, you know, joy through the, the process. Well, certainly, uh, I mean, it suits you well. Uh, it's on my uh, playlist he- he- in heavy rotation. So thank you. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, but I've I've always liked, you know, whatever whatever you bring to the table music wise. I think it's uh, it's very, you know, to the point and and has good messages. Uh, you know, one quick question and. Uh, that that I was just barely thinking about. I I would assume that um, "Jealous of the Angels" would be the song that probably most people associate you with. Um, there's also been a lot of other people who have who have performed that song, um, you know, on YouTube or whatever. Do you have a favorite person or rendition that someone has done that 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 you feel you know that was the best? Oh, wow. That's a tough question. And for those who are listening that don't know, that song is deeply personal to me. It's a song about my father who passed away in a car accident when I was 10 years old. And it's been amazing to me that years later, you know, I released my version of that song back in 2011. And years later now, artists are still covering that. And artists that, you know, are over in Ireland and England. And the first one to really have a big splash with it after my release was a girl named Donna Taggart. When she and I have become amazing friends and we've actually toured together, she invited me to come and sing the song with her at the Dublin concert hall, which I mean, to I think 800 people. So that was just an amazing experience when you're singing a song that you were writing with a couple of friends as a therapy moment to become just this anthem that's sung back to you in an auditorium in another country, you know, it's, it's, it was 
just an amazing moment. So I, I think Donna's version I've had the most personal connection with because of the friendship that's been born from that. But most recently, Catherine Jenkins, who is a beautiful classical singer in England, she recorded the song about a year and a half ago. And just a few weeks ago, she performed it to an empty Royal Albert Hall as part of a television special. And Royal Albert Hall is my dream venue to perform in. So to hear my song on that stage was just, that was a dream come true in itself. So it was it was just a really special thing to witness, even from thousands of miles away. And I, that song has just had a life of its own. It's so much bigger than anything I could begin to take credit for. I mean, God's fingerprints are all over it. And I'm so grateful that people have, you know, found comfort and healing in that song. And it's, you know, just, I'm grateful that I got to be a vessel that brought it into this world with my friends and dear co-writers, Jimmy Fortune and Zach Rundquist. Yeah, it's, it's a great song. And, uh, you know, one of these days uh, when we, we'll, we'll talk again, and I'll tell you how I, how I even found out about, about you was, was through that song that had nothing to do with anything it's just really crazy. Uh, that's just it's it was a weird deal how how that whole thing worked. I'll have to tell you about it sometime when we when when we have a little more time. But um, you've had a great career to this point. Um, I know that you want to even take it to higher higher points. Which if there's anyone in the world that can do that, I I believe it's you. And I'm not the only one that that thinks that. Um, okay. So. Give us one important lesson. I we had Colin Ray on uh, earlier this week, and I asked him the same question. To this point in your career, what's one important lesson that you can take um, and use in your life uh, to this point? Things don't always look the way that you think they're going to, but man, they can be so much better if you will just let your visions of what you thought was supposed to happen go. And that has been a really difficult, continuous lesson for me to learn. I had these visions of what my career was going to look like or what, you know, all these moments in life were supposed to look like. And when I loosen my grip and surrender and just look at how many amazing things I have to be grateful for around me and just practice continuous gratitude. I am constantly surprised at just how many blessings there are. And that, you know, it's a common practice that I think we can all just step into, especially in this time of uncertainty, you know, just to look at our lives and say, wow, I've got food on the table and I have a roof over my head and Look at these amazing opportunities to connect with people online. Look at the technology we have. I mean, there's always something to be thankful for. And, you know, I I had this big dream of what my little 23-year-old career was going to be. And at 23, it looked very different in my head than what was actually happening. And so I think as I've stepped into my 30s now, I I have become more mature in the way I approach things. And, yes, of course, I get disappointed when big dreams of mine don't necessarily come true in the way that I would like them to. But it's amazing that if you just wait and two, three years later, it's either better or it looks a whole lot like you, you know, maybe had imagined just in a different way. 
Right, right. Well, that's that's fantastic, and I think that's that, that's really sage advice for anybody, um, especially in, in the current situation. You know, where a lot of people are out of work and furloughed, and you know, especially in the the, the events industry like we are. I mean, you know, basically we're we're shut down until who who knows when, really. I mean, right. Um, and so that's that, that's really good advice and. Uh, Jen, I really appreciate you coming on with us today uh, on our Backstage Lights podcast and wish you all the best and all the love. And, and um, I, I think we'll probably see you soon, August 22nd. Yes, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm just so grateful for everything you guys have done to uh, help me out and help get my music out there. So thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. You bet. And we'll talk to you soon.